What's up, horror fans? It is Danny from the Lasser Cast, joined as always by Pete. We watched Dead Silence from 2007, and we're going to talk about it today. I saw Dead Silence years ago, and I just rewatched the unrated version, which uh-huh. is a little different. Uh, what's your history with this movie? Did you just watch it for the first time? <laughs> Uh, I watched Dead Silence yesterday, and that was the first time I ever watched it. Okay. I watched the rated version, which I just got off of Amazon Prime. Uh, I was doing a little research, and I saw that, the, like you said, the unrated version is pretty different. There's one thing I wanted to see. They mentioned that uh, Mary Shaw had a long tongue. Is that in the yeah. unrated version? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not good, so it definitely did not add to the movie. Uh, yeah. This really poorly CGI'd demon tongue that she has. Yeah. You absolutely don't need that. Like I get the logic of it with the plot uh, and why uh, they wanted it. But uh, seeing, watching the unrated version for the first time, uh, I don't think it was necessary. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, this movie for me, it's probably my least favorite of the James Wan movies that we've watched so far. And together for uh, this channel, we've watched both Conjuring, uh, well, both Conjuring that he did, yeah. both Insidious that he did, and now this. And uh, I would say this is at the bottom of that list for me. It was, it, was, it was also at the bottom of apparently Lee Winnell's list because yes. he um, really didn't like the finished version that the studio put out. Yeah, now, I, I just want to say outright, I don't hate this movie. And I do think that there is something inherently scary and creepy as hell about dummies, ventriloquist dummies. And that on its own makes this, uh, I think, an effective horror movie. But yeah. I think I think you and I have both kind of, we, we've, kind, we've come to uh, expect a higher standard overall from yes. James Wan. Um, when you do... Now, now, also to be fair to James Wan, this was early in his career. This was 2007. This was before both uh, the first Insidious and the first Conjuring film. So, like, this was one of his first real bigger budget movies after Saw. Um, yeah. and I think it's good. I just, yeah, it's not up to the level scare-wise and effective-wise with the the later films yeah you, you know you and i were around the same age and i remember just for me i'm sure this experience is pretty similar for you but i remember just being a teenager maybe even early 20s and just going to the movies like pretty much almost every weekend and i'd go with my friends and we saw a lot of horror movies and they were horror movies of different uh quality levels right you had like the uh, My Bloody Valentine remake that was in 3D, and you had all the Final Destination movies. Kind of started early with Scream, and then there's all these different Scream knockoffs. Uh, this felt like, rightfully so, it's kind of like from that time period. Yeah, you th- know, that where... early aughts. Yes, 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 yes. And you know, and even though it came out in 2007, towards the end of the aughts, it still kind of had that vibe of, I'm just going to go see this movie with my friends doesn't matter if it's kind of stupid, which it is kind of silly. Um, but you are a thousand percent on the money where you're saying that there's something inherently creepy about the doll and about Mary Shaw, the villain. Yeah. In it. So uh, I think that 
like an effective horror movie for me when I'm, I'm in this bedroom that I'm in right now, when I'm going to sleep at night, uh, if I wake up at least once and think that the thing's in the bedroom with me, then I think the movie's done a yeah. good job. And that did happen last night. So mission accomplished, James Wan. And yeah. also James Wan, uh, you know, he also establishes his like, I guess that dolls are just a thing, you know, Billy the puppet, um, Billy the puppet again, the yeah, yeah. ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, obviously Annabelle is the star of the beginning of The Conjuring and would go on to spawn her own franchise. Um, I actually wrote down and um, a list, um, like, I guess, research, we could call it, of sure. the history of, like, ventriloquist dummies in horror. And I think the first time that, that I remember seeing this, I was a huge Twilight Zone fan as a kid used to love the marathons at like thanksgiving and new years the yeah. the ventrilo um the dummy the episode the dummy came out in 1962 yeah then we had um a really good under the radar horror movie called magic with anthony hopkins in 1978 mm -hmm. yeah. um where he plays a ventriloquist um and he kind of starts getting you know the dummy might be alive or not right where I really got it, though, was with two places. Uh, and I'm, I'm also skipping Child's Play, of course, like 1988 with Chucky. Sure. Yeah. Trying to stick with just dummies. Uh, yeah. But for me, the Tales from the Crypt episode, the ventriloquist dummy, which was in the 1983 season with Don Rickles, actually, uh, in okay. the lead in that episode. And then, uh, as you might remember, Goosebumps, of course. Absolutely. Night of the Living Dummy. Uh, which I read, and then that that dummy became the, a character in the Goosebumps movies, which came out probably within the last 10-plus years. Um, yeah, that sounds right. So I, I thought it was interesting that, like, the, the idea of a ventriloquist dummy is kind of this continuous thing in horror going back to the early 60s. And that just shows you that, it obviously works as as a yes. scare tactic, as like a, a as, as its own character for horror. It's really a good prop. Um, oh yeah. As opposed to just like you know a toy doll, which we see in Child's Play, and then Annabelle. Like, there's just something creep inherently creepy about a ventriloquist dummy. Yes, that's uh, that's very well put. I think it's kind of like a clown, right? Where. <laughs> In concept, it's supposed to be something fun, especially for kids, but there's just something about it that disturbs us, that if we just look at it, it unnerves us. Yeah, and that's a good point. That, that's a good yeah. point. The fact that it's, like, meant for kids and that, like, a lot of kids will find clowns especially funny and – but, yeah, I, it's a, one of those things, like, the older you get, the more it creeps you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like as cynical adults – we add a level of malice to this thing that as children we don't have. And uh, it, it's funny because in the very beginning of the movie, there's a little like uh, card or scrawl, right? It says that the word ventriloquist comes from the idea of spirits speaking from your midsection. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the perfect way to be like, ooh, ventriloquist dolls are spooky, you know? Yeah. Just, just based on just the character and the aesthetic alone, it's creepy, right? But the question is, is all the rest of it strong enough? Like, do you think that the the story with the lead act, 
actor. Uh, so it's Ryan Quantin from True Blood, right? Before True like, Blood, before he became uh, Sookie's brother, right? Jason Stackhouse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's the question, right? Because he hasn't really been in much besides this and that, right? He was actually just in an episode of Creep Show on Shudder, um, and I oh, remember, right. and I remember thinking wow, he looks so much older than I remember. And then I forgot how long ago, like, True Blood was on. And this movie, I didn't realize, came out 14 years. Is it 14 years? 14, I could add. 14 years ago. Um, he's Australian. And, right. I mean, I'll give him credit. I thought he was I thought he was fine in this movie. Um, but he doesn't, like, do anything to, like stand out i kind of joked with athena i was because she was a huge true blood fan i was like oh uh jason stackhouse was in this movie but you wouldn't recognize him because he had his shirt on the whole movie and he wasn't having sex at all right uh, right <laughs> good point yeah well you said something that i think you said he did nothing and that's the thing right is that i feel like you can put any actor in that role and it yeah. doesn't matter there's there's no range yeah his wife dies and he's supposed to be upset but they don't even really hold on that. They do this real interesting kind of shot where they they do a close-up of his eyes and then he's like in his eyes, like the next shot is in his eyes. And I believe it's of them wheeling the corpse out of their apartment. Yeah. He's right there. Or, or, yeah. And he's like in the police station. Yeah. Which would... it's, it's, very, it's very clever for them to use that shot in the beginning because we're looking at it. It's like, oh, this is like an emotional beat. So we're going through his eyes. We're seeing it from his perspective. But then it's like foreshadowing for the very end where we zoom in on his eyes too. So I like yeah. that. Yeah, th oh. there are parts of this movie that I that I really like. And I, I think this is one of those movies where as a, as a film, it's not the best, but it has these moments that are, that stand out as kind of like, it's one of those rare cases where like the parts are greater than the sum. Sure, you know, sure. You know what I mean? Um, like, I, I'll tell you one thing that I absolutely love in this movie, just the, the geography of that theater at the end. Uh, the idea that like, it's like on this lake that you have to like, in order to get to it now, because like, I guess because of flooding, you have to literally get into a rowboat and sail across a lake to this old theater. Yes. That absolutely love that. Um, it's such a cool visual. Uh, and it's, it's like this old horror movie aesthetic that like, you don't really get a lot. And that's Juan is really good at that kind of stuff. Um, yes. I Excuse like, don't, Oh God, I just want to make one point about that real too. Um, you know, it's funny because like that kind of is like the old universal monsters type thing, like Dracula, especially Dracula. Right. And then this is, of course, is made by Universal Studios. And when the film starts, it has that kind of retro Universal Studios logo in black and white. Now, this, um, you know, this year they had the movie Werewolves Within, which kind of blew my mind that it was based on a game and that the game took place in a sort of role playing fantasy kind of realm like a medieval realm right when you look at the setting like that theater that you mentioned and um the town itself that is such a role-playing game setting and town it's like ridiculous i was like wait a minute is this like based on a game 
Because the fucking name of the town is Raven's Fall, right? Fair. Yeah, that's it, like the most D and D thing you can think of. It it reminded me of two things. It reminded me of Silent Hill, right. a little bit, right. and it reminded me also of a movie that we've talked about on this channel, the Mortuary Collection. Right. And right. the the whole intro to that movie where you're crossing the bridge into like this seaside town, and then like he. Um, I forgot the main character's first name, Ryan Quanton's character. Uh, he has to Jamie. go, Jamie. He has to go back uh, and he has to cross the bridge into this like seaside town that he's from. It, it reminded me of the Mortuary Collection also. Um, Good point. Yeah. So there were, like I said, there, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I like. It's just that I think like if you, if you really hold it up to a lens, it doesn't hold up very well. Nice. Um, there are certain plot twists uh, that you're kind of scratching your head and you're like, that doesn't really make sense. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, um, I do like, I, I, I really like the music in this movie. Mm. And uh, I, I don't know if you noticed this, the opening credits kind of felt yeah. like it was, it was doing an exorcist kind of uh, vibe, over the over the opening credits, that's what I I, I noticed. I don't know. Maybe I almost I'm... felt like it was like seven, where it was like kind of flashing through his journal and his notes because it was her journal and her notes. Oh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, the obviously the music was very different. It wasn't like Nine Inch Nails. It was this sort of the score, which I thought the score, like you said, was really good too. And and uh, one, you know, it's at this point where we've covered so many James Wan movies. Where uh, again, we we've made the comparison to Flanagan, and just like Mike Flanagan, he has like you know we always call it the Flana family or the Flanagan family. He's got like the one crew where you know it, he, Lee Lee Winnell is like his co-writing partner and his 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 script man. Um, John Arlianetti is his DP on most of his early films. Uh, and he would actually go on to direct, I think, the first Annabelle movie. Um, even right. the music, the music in this movie was done by Charlie Clauser, who did the iconic Saw theme. Um, uh -huh. So, like, he works with a lot of the same people behind the set, and obviously with Patrick Wilson and uh, Lynn Shay. You know, like he he brings back a lot of the same actors. So it, it is, in a way, very similar to Flanagan. With uh, this movie, though, th there is an actor. Isn't Donnie Wahlberg in another, in the Saw movies, too? Oh, you're going to shave over there? Okay, very nice. <laughs> what a weird... Yeah, he's um he's in uh, Saw 2. He's the main character of Saw 2. And they could have had even more of a shared universe, right? Because Billy the Puppet shows up in the end I scene, even wrote right? the time down. Uh one hour, thirteen minutes, fifty-two seconds. If you're very careful, if you're if you're looking for it, you'll see Billy the Puppet. Uh, right. And then the cool. clown that does the talking at the end doesn't it have like the spiral on its head too? It does, and that clown looks almost exactly like if you Google the like poster art of the crappy. Um, remake of poltergeist that clown at the end looks very similar to the clown puppet used in poltergeist which again leads me to the idea that james wan just needs to do a poltergeist remake 
because there's always hints to Poltergeist in all of his movies, and just do it. <laughs> but uh, let's let's bring it all back to good old Donnie though for a second. I felt like he was kind of the weakest link for the majority of the movie. He's just kind of like this annoying detective that just keeps showing up and he takes the ventriloquist on me at one point. I go, oh boy, all right. But with that being said, by the, the final act, I, I kind of liked him and I was on board. I was like, all right, yeah, let's let's see if this guy survives. And unfortunately, he does not. Uh, so, you know, I was kind of bummed when he got killed. But yeah. uh, he, he was annoying for about half of his screen time. It also just felt like he wasn't necessary. Like, at the yeah. end of the movie, like, his presence at the end is not necessary. Um, yeah. it, Jamie could have done all of the... I mean, he was going back there anyway. And, you know, he could have found the wall of the hundred dummies, uh, all of Mary Shaw's dummies. He could have found all of that, seen the... Uh, I almost called it the poltergeist clown. He, he could have found the clown... At the end, he could have set the fire. He could have done all of that stuff without Donnie Wahlberg, who ends up getting killed in that scene anyway. Um, That's true. So there was a really good joke though, where like he like looks at the dummy and he's like, "Oh man!" He throws the dummy and he's like, "If I don't have to see another one of those things again," and then the, the curtain peels back and there's a hundred of them. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one thing I did really like in this was like the idea of. You know, because, like, like, he finds Mary Shaw's, like, book about how, like, she's created. And it's, like, the perfect puppet uh, or the perfect dummy. And um, they you get this flashback of uh, from the, the medical examiner, who's this really old man. And he's telling a story from, like, where he was in the audience for Mary Shaw's, like, last show. And how she, like, kidnapped this boy. Or at least it was thought at the time that she did it. And it was like, it, it's one of those weird cases where like the movie wants you to think, oh, she's cursing the town because she was the victim of like vigilante justice. But then you find out at the end that she was completely guilty of what the town was getting the yeah. vigilante justice for. So it's like, yeah, she, yeah. Was, she was, Mary Shaw was evil. Yeah. It, it, it didn't require like, uh, what happened to her? I mean, it, I guess it's kind of like a Freddy Krueger situation where she was evil and then they burned her, or they, they they ripped out her tongue and killed her and then like she comes back as a spirit and haunts the town. But I did like like the reveal of finding the boy and having him be like the marionette and like his yeah. rotting. And then there's the reveal of his dad, which yep. the first time I saw the movie, like that scene blew my mind a little bit like, <laughs> because then, and then they show in flashback all the scenes and you're like, what? But then it devolves into this like plot twist with like this stepmother character. And I still don't really know if I understand that like final part of the movie <laughs> because every time I've watched this movie all it comes across to me is this blonde stepmom is just like an evil like it almost feels to me like she was supposed to be in some other script like a, a Mary Shaw's granddaughter or something right who who was like 
carrying on the evil legacy and going to get revenge on the last of the Ash Ashen family. I think it is. Yeah. So she marries the, the, the dad and then she sends the doll to Jamie thinking that it'll kill Jamie and his wife, um, who I believe we find out was pregnant, Jamie's Correct. wife. So it's like, so that, that, that family line will end. And, it, but like the, the movie doesn't explain her character at all. In fact, like Jamie didn't even know she existed when, when Jamie meets her for the first time in the movie, she's like, Oh, I'm your dad's. I, he, she's like, Oh, I guess I'm your stepmom. As if it's the literal first time Jamie's ever finding out about her. Right. So for her to like, at the end, like the ghost of Mary Shaw comes out through her. I, it, it doesn't make sense. I like right. the reveal that the dad is like a living puppet. I like, I think that's really cool. And it, the imagery is gross and awesome. But then that last scene, and I could kind of feel Lee Winnell just going like, Ugh. yeah, like, because he's such a good writer, especially once he, and I don't mean this in any kind of disrespectful way to him, but once he, or to James Wan, but like once he broke away from James Wan and he's done, um, I mean, obviously the invisible man. man and, Oh God, what was the other movie he did? The, the awesome one. Upgrade. Uh, Upgrade. Like he's such a good writer and he's written these great horror scripts for James Wan before. And this is the, this, and, and like, I know, cause I, I care. I read about how angry he was. I think he said that he'll never do a, a script on, he'll never write a script on spec ever again, because like it, apparently he, the studio heard his idea and they were like, Oh, we love it. Write the script. And then they were, and then, so like they had supervision over the script. Whereas after this, he was like, no, 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 I'm writing the scripts and I'm going to have like final say over them. You're you're right, except when a script is written on spec, the writer writes it in their own time, and they write the whole movie, and then they pitch the, the whole movie to people. What he did was what his agent suggested, which was he pitched the idea, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the producers were like, yeah, let's get it. And then they got a ghostwriter involved. And I think that, I mean, that was why he was so mad. And with the ghostwriter, I bet you a thousand bucks that what you said, that essentially like, he added that idea of Mary Shaw being a ghost in the woman. Like, I think that probably Leigh Whannell's original idea was just that she was a descendant of Mary Shaw and she had this plot. You know, I I think that that makes a lot more sense. I think that, like, when you see the doll's faces kind of contort and they're like, oh, Mary Shaw's ghost is in their body. I just realized something. Go ahead. (laughs) The whole nursery rhyme is like, here a lot is Mary Shaw, she had no children, only dolls. So... It would be hard to kind of, but like it figure something out, like figure something out to, to, to at least have her have a connection. Maybe she was like Mary Shaw's protege. She doesn't have to yes. be her relative. She could be a protege where when she was a kid, she wanted to be a, a ventriloquist and she went to those shows and, or she heard the legend of Mary Shaw and, you know, she was angry about the way she was killed and she decided to get revenge. Something, you know, right. it, it, the way the movie ends, 
it's like it's meant to get that big theatrical jump scare ending. All right. But if you give it any level of thought, you're like, oh, oh wait, what? what? Yes. <laughs> like I did like and then and then their faces end up in that book. And I'm like, so who's taking the pictures? <laughs> who's come so is she a, a, a living human being who's taking the pictures and making the book? <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I had that same exact feeling yesterday when I was watching the movie. I was like, oh, what? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, that's why it's a little hokey, and that's why it's low on my list. I think it's – you probably feel the same way, right? You'd rank it lower than the two Conjuring and the two oh, Insidious movies. definitely. Like, I, I – this is definitely a movie where the parts are greater than the sum. Uh, it, there are there are parts of this movie I genuinely really like. There are parts of this movie that creep me out, even as a 39-year-old adult. Um, but the whole movie from beginning to end is a little... I, I think the word you used was hokey. I think that's a good word for it. Um, right. And the plot kind of falls apart on itself, I think, at parts. Yeah. But I I, I don't, I think this is definitely a movie that's worth watching. Yeah, um, absolutely. Especially if you've never seen it or if you're a fan of James Wan. Um, there's definitely enough stuff in there that you'll you'll get. It's, it's short. It's 95 minutes, I think. I think the unrated cut was 97 minutes. So yeah. it doesn't overstay its welcome. No. Um, so, so, all right. All right, man, so I got to get going, but uh, Danny and I will see you guys next week.